Welcome to the I-29 Moo U Dairy Podcast. I-29 Moo University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. Well, cold weather is upon us, and I am joined on today's podcast with Jim Salfer from the University of Minnesota. Hi. Hi, Kim. And also Jennifer Bentley from Iowa State University. Welcome, Jen. Jen's also a member of our I-29 Moo University, but this is the first time we're having her on our podcast. Well, thanks for having me on, Kim and Jim. I know I'm kind of on the outer edge of the I-29, but I'm glad you guys include me in your group here. So appreciate being on. Recently, we've we've had some snow in our area and not typical for us to have that kind of decrease in temperatures so quickly along with some snow. So I don't know about you guys, but I've seen our producers um, scrambling to get done with field work this time of year in the fall, but now quickly shifting to preparing for the cooler temperatures and going into winter. So let's kind of walk through some of the cold winter preparation. I know I've recently had some questions about how can I prepare calves for the winter or what do I need to be thinking about? What changes should I be making? And in Nebraska, um, and you guys are further north than we are, but a lot of times we'll change the direction our hutches face. So we'll want to face our hutches to the south or southeast just so that warmer wind from that direction hits the calves when it's possible versus that cold northerly wind. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's one thing that typically does. The other thing I think about hutches is we really need to be thinking about bedding, at least uh, here in Minnesota. Some people will use maybe shavings or sand during the summer. I'm guessing they're out of sand right now, but really the preferred source of bedding is straw and lots of it. So those calves can nest down, especially when it gets real cold. Um, Maybe we don't need to be thinking about that in October, but I think as we move into the dead of winter, we've got to provide plenty of bedding for those calves. Yeah, that's a good point, Jim. And, you know, I'm thinking about your, your comment about, you know, even though it's not the dead of winter, but thinking about that calf's thermal neutral zone. And I like to use kind of 50 degrees as that cutoff where they start to need more energy just to maintain their body weight. So 50 degrees you know, we're at 40 degrees right now here in Northeast Iowa. So they're already, you know, that newborn calf is already below their thermal neutral zone. So now's the time to even start thinking about the extra bedding, uh, the extra nutrients that they might need to maintain, but then also to grow because it's a really tough time of year to get calves to grow. We're starting to see calf jackets go on the calves now as well. Yeah, I think that needs to be standard operating procedures, at least depending on where you're listening from. But as you get further north, I think calf jackets, if they're in cold housing, sure just need to become standard. Also, I see a lot more people feeding more milk now. But if you typically don't feed more milk, now's maybe the time to up that. I think, you know, in milk replacer, maybe a couple pounds of powder if you're going to keep those calves growing, because they're going to take a lot, it's going to take a fair amount of energy just to maintain their body temperature. And so if we want them to grow, as Jen mentioned, we really do need to increase their milk and or milk replacer so they can continue to grow and we can, we don't come out of the spring or out of the winter with smaller calves, especially if it stays cool. And Jim, when you say increase milk or milk replacer, you're talking the solids, the volume, maybe even how many times a day the calves are getting that milk? 
Sure. Yeah, all of that. And let's not forget that we need to make sure they have starter, um, at least here in the upper Midwest, in Minnesota. And I'm sure you have the same thing in Iowa and Nebraska is water tends to freeze below 32 degrees. And and so feeding, we need to make sure these calves get water. And so ideally, what I tell people to do, and I know it's no fun chipping water and thawing pails. So when you're done feeding milk, you know, probably the easiest thing to do is go around to your hutches and give them some warm water afterwards. You don't have to fill it all up so it freezes into a block and leave that in there for half an hour while you're washing up bottles or nipples or whatever you happen to have. And you're bedding, doing those things. And then maybe go around and empty those out so you aren't chipping water all the time. So Try to think of a a good way in your system that you can give them water, but yet not make it so much work that you'll not do it anymore. Yeah. And, and Jen mentioned thermal neutral zone earlier. And as you were talking about water, Jim, I was thinking you mentioned warm water and I always recommend warm water as well. It doesn't freeze as quickly when it's warm. And then also when that calf is taking in that warm water, it's helping maintain that body temperature as well. So they're not working so hard to regulate their body temperature and they can use that energy toward growth. Yeah. That other, you know, just another comment about the feeding that's probably one advantage that our automatic calf feeder systems have over maybe our conventional feeding where they can, you know, they can feed multiple times a day. Those calves can go up to that feeder and, and drink multiple times. But, you know, our conventional farms where we are typically used to feeding two times a day really have to kind of strategically plan how you're going to get that third feeding in. But, you know, I've seen a lot of farms, you know, once they go to three times a day feeding, they actually start to just do it all year round because they see that a little bit of advantage of getting more milk into those calves overall uh, through the course of the year, but definitely in the, in the winter time, trying to get that third feeding. Um, the other thing with, you know, we're talking about increased volume and, and solids, but, you know, we could also think about adding some extra fat to the milk replacer, whether that's increasing the fat in the, the type of milk replacer that they're using or adding a supplemental fat. I think it's you know kind of important to re- to think about when you're going to start adding that because you don't want to add it add that additional fat the day that it starts the day that it's cold right because they need that time to build up that energy reserve with that fat so be thinking about the forecast and maybe look at the the seven week outlook and think oh I should start adding that additional fat now versus the day that it drops. I'm assuming there's milk replacers on the market that have more fat than others. So it, would it be recommended to change to those higher fat milk replacers? Yeah, it's probably going to be depending on the farm and working with your either a veterinarian or nutritionist. You know, they, I've seen programs where they have the cold winter calf care programs. So they do have that additional fat built in and particularly with jerseys too, you know, they're just lower body weight to begin with anyways. Uh, having that additional fat is, is helpful. Yeah, it's a challenge raising those jerseys up here in Minnesota. I, I admire anybody who can do, especially in cold housing. I mean, there's a reason so many of the jerseys go south for the winter uh, or all year round because it's so much easier to raise them. But that's a good point. Depending on your breed, if you've got jerseys, and of course the people that are out here are working with them, but if you even if you're just getting started in jerseys, just recognize that they are not very big, so they just don't have much mass to stay warm. So you've really got to work with those jerseys and feed more milk and make sure there's blankets on them and bed them really well. And and then it still can be a little bit of a challenge. Comparing jerseys and Holsteins, what changes to milk or milk replacer would there be between the two breeds? 
Jen, do you have more experience that with I do? I, I know there are a lot of the companies will make specific Jersey milk replacers. I think they tend to be a little bit higher in fat so they can keep that body condition a little bit better in those smaller breeds that and you're maybe not going to eat, drink quite as much, obviously, because they're a lot smaller animal. Yeah, that's probably where that advantage of getting an extra feeding in so that they get more volume through the course of the day versus, you know, trying to get it all into them in two times. And if we can spread it out and get more volume, uh, that's going to help too. But yeah, I would agree with Jim, just those milk replacer companies that make, you know, ones that are specific to the Jersey formulation. Um, the other consideration is pasteurized milk. That's obviously going to have some higher nutrient content to begin with, depending on, you know, the type of waste milk that you're using, if it's fresh cow milk uh, versus mastitic milk. But that fresh cow milk is really going to have that higher fat content to begin with. Um, so that's always an option. But of course, that brings a whole nother set of issues, right? Getting it pasteurized, getting it transferred to the barn or wherever you're feeding. So have to have those things kind of, you know, thought through before you just kind of jump into it too. Is there a way to test the quality of the pasteurized milk? So you should be able to, you can do on-farm testing of the solids with the BRICS refractometer. That'll give you the reading. So that's a good recommendation, Kim, to, to do that maybe on a you know a weekly basis. Take a look at your pasteurized milk and see where you are with the milk solids. And you generally don't want to go over one or two percent difference through the course of a week with those milk solids. With a pasteurized milk, those milk solids, you would want similar milk solids to what you would have in the milk replacer. Yeah. And I think another thing related to that is I don't know if we want to be jumping between milk, milk replacer, feeding three times a day, feeding twice a day. I think it's a little bit like feeding your cows for the heat in the spring or calves for the heat in the spring. Kind of pick a date and then stick with that date and then just switch to your winter feeding program and just stay with that all winter. So if we get some really nice stretch of weather, don't say, yeah, I can save some milk replacer if I go back to twice a day feeding. That's really hard on your animals long-term. They kind of get used to the, the program they're on. So I would encourage people now to kind of set up your winter feeding program for your calves and then stick with it until probably, depending on time of year, March, April, maybe, and then maybe switch to something a little bit different if you so choose. We've talked about before how cows are creatures of habit. So anytime we can feed, same time of day, same volume, same amount of solids, same temperature. We haven't mentioned that yet, but um, temperature of the milk, if we can get it in the calf right around that 100 to 105 degrees Fahrenheit, that's really optimal for them. Anything cooler than that, they're using some of that energy in, in the milk to maintain their body temperature. Anything warmer than that can cause adverse reactions, so some scalding in the esophagus. I have quite a few heifers in, in open lots um, here in Nebraska. I don't know if you have the same situations in Iowa and Minnesota, but I often recommend to producers and, and sea producers putting bales uh, maybe on the north end of that open lot, just kind of just as a little bit of a shelter protection from the wind for heifers and actually any any heifers and cows that are in open lots, just putting some kind of shelter there, whether it's with bales, maybe they can put up some kind of temporary curtain, just something to stop a little bit of that cooler winter wind from hitting those animals. 
Yeah, you're right. We get, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about calves, but heifers are in kind of the same boat. Now they can take the cold weather really well, especially as they get older. But one thing that we see here in Minnesota in these cold winters, they don't grow as well. So make sure you visit with your nutritionist and up the energy levels in those diets, especially as we get into winter, especially if we have a cold winter. And that's whether that's even bred heifers and even dry cows. I think we forget about that. We really haven't moved on to cows. But if you've got animals out in that cold weather, they do compensate some. You'll all notice that intakes tend to go up, but I think when it's really cold, they just can't compensate enough. So if it looks like we're going to have an exceptionally cold winter, make sure we we watch those body conditions on those heifers or those dry cows and kind of adjust the diet accordingly. Maybe a couple extra pounds of corn or change your diet, feed a little bit more corn silage, something with a little bit more energy in because they're no different than you or I when you're outside. They, you know, they get cold. They can take the cold weather. Um, but they're going to use more energy to try and maintain some body temperature. Yeah. And I think it's when they get wet too, right, Jim? If they get wet and they got that heavy coat on and then they got that strong wind coming in at them, I mean, that really uh, takes a toll on their energy and they're going to use more energy again to kind of stay warm. And so the, I like Kim's idea of the using those bales as kind of a, a barrier between the wind and those heifers. Yeah, do you have this miserable weather, Kim, in Nebraska? We've had the last few winters where like November and December, we'll get a day or two of rain. And to me, that's way worse. We don't like rain in Minnesota in November. We like snow. Because of that reason, our animals get so wet and that's really, and then it cools off at night and it freezes on their coat. So that's a good point. I think that rainy weather is really much worse, much harder on them than just snow. Jim, we're tropical all year round here in Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. You probably got <laughs> roses blooming January 15th. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you're suggesting we move to Nebraska in January? Yeah, come join me for some nice cold frigid temperatures. Yeah, really. We've covered calves, heifers, lactating cows. We can't forget about them in the winter. You know, rapid decrease in temperatures the last couple of weeks that we've had this fall. I'm not sure many of my producers were thinking about teat care. So with the creams that they usually apply in the winter. No, I know we're not ready. So at some point we need to get think about housing and we need to, I mean, obviously at some point we're going to pull up the curtains on the sidewalls. If we've got curtains on our sidewalls in a naturally ventilated barn. Bedding, we maybe don't need to change a lot. Although if you've got a mattress and you kind of minimize bedding in the summer, I think you need to have more bedding because if you've got real high producing cows, uh, they can leak in those beds. And the worst thing, no different than we were talking about, heifers getting cold. If we've got leaking milk in those stalls and those cows lay down, you know, they're much more likely to freeze their teats than if we've got a nice dry surface. So you might want to consider adding a little bit more bedding to those stalls if you've got mattresses. And then as Kim had mentioned, up here in Minnesota, I know a lot of folks will switch to more of a winter teat dip formula that maybe contains a little more emollient to try and keep those teats a little more, a little softer and try to keep the teat skin from chapping. And it's no different than I, if I go out in the winter and my hands are bare, they're going to tend to dry out a little bit more. They're going to chap more. They're going to freeze a lot easier. So I think those are all things we need to be thinking about really right now in October and November and not December when we get a first day of below zero temperature. Most of our producers in Nebraska are bedding with sand. Sand does a really good job of wicking away the moisture. So if you do have cows that are wet or leaky teats, would you recommend adding 
more sand to absorb more moisture or is sand as long as they maintain a good amount of sand in the stalls then the cow should be comfortable and that moisture should be absorbed yeah i think so make sure you keep your stalls full of sand most of most producers go through a little less sand in the winter because the cow they aren't digging it out you know those cows in the summer tend to dig out all that sand but you clearly do want to keep those stalls full of sand and then make sure you get in there multiple times per day usually it's at every milking and rake out anything that's wet make sure you get some dry stuff on top of the stalls so they have a dry place to lie but i'm not sure you need to add a lot more sand i mean obviously we want to keep our sand stalls full year round um, and I don't know if it's more important or less important in winter, but make sure you maintain those beds year round so those cows have a comfortable place to lie down. And we can see bedded pack barns too that get wet rather quickly, like especially if they're open on on one side. And so if if it's a bedded pack or if there's corn stalks that you can throw on top of that bedded pack, that's always good. A lot of times in the winter, especially, those open bedded pack barns, I'll see um, those cows are really wet and it's just from that snow that's flying in, not the snow or moisture on top of the cows, but the snow that's coming in and just really gets that that bedding on the bedded pack really wet. So we want to try and make sure that we keep that dry as well. Yeah, clean, dry and draft free goes an awful long ways in keeping animals healthy and keep them performing well through the winter. Yeah, and I know we you know, we're probably not at that temperature yet where we are seeing frozen teats, but, you know, I still have barns where the milk cows leave the milking parlor and they have to walk outside a bit to get back to their housing. So even thinking about keeping them in in the parlor area a little bit longer, just so that that little droplet of teat dip on the end of that teat doesn't freeze. Um, So it gives them a little bit more time to dry before they actually go back outside and, you know, that wind whips and Um, It can easily get frozen teats just by walking outside right after milking too. Do the farms that have that outdoor area between the parlor and barn, do they put any type of wind protectant up or any kind of barrier? Jim had mentioned draft free. So I didn't know if those dairies take any extra measurements to reduce that. Yeah, I've seen, you know, the use of round bales again to restrict that wind from blowing across the cows. And obviously they're going to have to walk on some, you know, frozen, uneven ground. So just trying to make sure the footing is good too. So they're not slipping on any ice or, you know, trying to keep that clean or putting down some lime so that they have some traction as they're going across the yard too. That's a good point. Keep some lime, sand handy to put that down. You know, some of our farms, when it gets extremely below, we'll get some days in Minnesota where the temperature doesn't get above zero all day. And sometimes farmers will maybe quit deep dipping for a few days. That always makes me really kind of nervous. You know, there are some dry dips that can use or there's some salves you can use, things like that. Um, But try not to do that long term, especially if you've got any contagious organisms. If you've got a Staph aureus or maybe a strep, we don't have much strep bag around. So it's mostly going to be staph aureus. I get pretty nervous if we if we get dipping our cows for more, maybe more than a day or two. But if it's really cold and you're really concerned, and as Jen mentioned, if they're walking outside, you know, I'm I'm not going to read you the riot act, but I would try to encourage it to be all for a very minimal period of time. Yeah, and you probably have equipment involved to put down the lime and 
melt and everything for traction. So it's also a good reminder to make sure that equipment is ready to go for the winter in in these colder temperatures. So making sure that their maintenance is completed. So oil changed and all the belts look good. Everything's in operating condition. So looking at the tractors and the feed trucks and any equipment that you use on the farm. So this is a good time of year. If you service everything once a year, now is when you want to service everything. Yeah, it sure beats doing it when it's below zero outside and your fingers are cold. And that's a good point. Make sure, just think about all those things that you got to get ready. And, you know, it's coming a little bit earlier this year than maybe we thought, but maybe we'll get a really nice later, later fall and early winter. It's probably a good conversation to have with your employees on the farm too, right? As these things are happening and you might be making changes to protocols with, you know, their calf management or your tea dips that you're using in the parlor. Um, I just think this is a good time to have some of those monthly meetings and talk about those strategies coming into winter so that they can tell you what they're seeing, you know, in the barns and be prepared for that. And uh, so they kind of have a heads up too about, you know, it's getting colder in the barns. I'm seeing leaking milk in the stalls. So maybe we need to have a conversation about getting those stalls cleaned out or providing more bedding. So just a good opportunity to have some more conversation with the employees too. Yeah, that's a great point. And those trainings can, don't forget to document those because those trainings can be used for the annual trainings that are needed by quality assurance programs, such as the National Dairy Farm Program. So while you're reminding your employees and having those trainings, don't forget to document at the same time. And speaking of employees, I actually just had a producer recently contact me and and say, you know, I want to thank my employees for all they do. How can I thank them? As we're talking about winter, one way you can thank your employees is provide them some cold weather gear. So gloves, coats, insulated boots, socks, cold weather socks. So that is definitely an easy way you can thank your employees and they're going to appreciate it more than you think they will. Yeah, I think it's amazing how much employees like They like clothing from the farm with the farm name on. I think we underestimate how proud they are to be working at your farm. And I'll see employees and they'll wear it quite a bit, not just on the farm. And I think most employees are proud of their employers. So I don't think we can underestimate how valuable that might be to them. And in the whole grand scheme of, you know, what it costs to run a dairy, it's a pretty minimal investment to keep your employees happy. So also as as we're thinking about the stalls in the barn, we need to also thinking about the structure. So the barn itself, I know, I don't remember if it was last year or a couple winters ago where there were several barns that collapsed because of the heavy snowfall. And, you know, as much as we don't want that to happen. It does happen because we can't control the amount of moisture in the snow. But if you're looking at the weather forecast um, and it looks like it's going to be a wet snow, you know, do the preparations that you can try and get that snow off the roof, check the rafters, just make sure that that, just make sure the barn is stable, roof is stable and, and also the foundation and all the walls are as stable as they can be. Yeah, if you've got some snow on the roof and it looks like we're going to get another big snow, it might pay to have some snow rakes. Just make sure you're safe if you're going to have anybody go up on the roof. And as Kim had mentioned, make sure you check those rafters because they'll start bowing. And I'm not sure I would want to go onto a roof where the rafters are starting to bow. So you can get some rakes or use loaders. Again, just be safe. But I would encourage you if it looks like 
you've got a fair amount of snow on the roof and you're getting another snow, try and get your your current snow off the roof so it can take the extra snow load. And we, you know, it depends on sometimes you just like that snow, big snowstorm a few years ago in Southeast Minnesota, you just really couldn't prepare for it. it was in the spring and it was a heavy, heavy snow and it just kept coming. So sometimes there's nothing you can do about it, but sometimes there really is some things that that you can do to try and minimize the snow load on your barn. And maybe even now look, and if you've got some cracked rafters or if there's something that really needs to be shored up, now would be the time to do it, not after a big snowfall in December, January, February. And Jim, I would imagine, you know, probably some of our newer barns factor in that snow load as they're building those barns. But, you know, we still have quite a bit of retrofit facilities that may not have quite the snow load that our newer facilities might be able to handle. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. We covered quite a bit on today's podcast. We just talked about some reminders with the calves to turn the hutches, add extra bedding, increase volume and the amount of milk solids fed for the calves, making sure heifers and all animals in open lots have uh, some kind of shelter, whether it's round bales or some kind of temporary structure. Teat care for the cows in the barns, making sure that the barns, especially the bedding, stay clean, dry, and free from drafts, and then uh, check your equipment and then the infrastructure of the barns to make sure that they will hold up during a heavy, wet snowfall. And lastly, don't forget about your employees. This is a great opportunity to give them um, clothing, especially clothing that has your farm logo on it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the I-29 Moo University podcast. Until next time. Thanks and hope everybody stays warm. Yep. Thank you. I-29 MooU is an equal opportunity provider for the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.